our Old Testament lesson is actually from two sections in Exodus, Exodus 7 and Exodus 8. Exodus 7, verse 8 through 13, and Exodus 8, 16 through 19. I think you'll see why these are brought together, this particular reading. It starts on page 95. This is Exodus 7, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you not only for this day that you have made, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. We pray that you would give us this morning understanding. We pray that you would give us a new vision of who you are. We pray that you would give us a new vision and understanding of what it means that your kingdom has come near. God, we pray that you would help us to understand what it means for Jesus to be king. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Exodus 7, verses 8 through 13. The Lord, this is back, by the way, when uh, Moses and Aaron are going before Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying, no. This is in that period. <laughs> uh, Hebrews are in slavery in Egypt. Moses is going, get them out. And so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his, threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. And then chapter 8, verse 16 through 19. After several plagues have come upon the land, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff, And struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. And turning to John 3. Famous conversation at night between Jesus and Nicodemus. John 3, 1 through 8, found on page 1650. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know how familiar you are, y'all are with uh, seminaries. Seminaries are basically the graduate school for people who are training to be uh, in ministry one way or another. Usually this is where if somebody feels called to be a pastor, then would like some training there, that's where you go. You go to seminary. And I, after studying our passage for this week, I have become convinced, I think, that one of the things that seminaries don't do enough of is telling their students from time to time to drop dead. I mean it. Um, I really think that should be a part of it. I think that that's one of the things that seminary professors ought to be on the lookout for are those people and those times where that is exactly what is needed. Because I think a lot of times people end up going all the way through seminary and ending up in pastoral ministry who shouldn't be there. That shouldn't have happened. But nobody stopped them along the way and said, drop dead. Now, it's not just for seminaries and pastors in training, though. I think also pastors ought to tell members of the congregation more often, you need to drop dead. So just get ready. (laughs) Also, I think it's even the case that congregations more often ought to tell their pastors, you need to drop dead. (laughs) So far, so good, right? We're all on board. I'm not saying that this is something that everybody should be doing to everyone all the time, that it should be a very often thing, but I think it should be happening more often than it is happening because I don't think it's happening at all And I think because it's not happening, there are a lot of um, people who end up in ministry or in the church or wherever it is thinking that they're following Jesus and they're not at all. Thinking they are doing Christian ministry and they're not at all. And that is a tragedy. Here's here's why. probably wondering why I'm getting all this. This comes from Acts chapter 8. It's time. Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 9 and going through verse 25. And we had looked last week at the expansion of the early church from Jerusalem. And now it's finally going out from Jerusalem. And we looked at the reason why it was going out from Jerusalem is not because people had said, Jesus said we're supposed to be taking this message and going out to all the world, from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So come on, guys, let's go. That's not how it went. Instead, they were all still in Jerusalem, And they were coming under intense pressure and persecution from the other religious leaders. And so they end up being scattered. And as they were scattered, they didn't just go hide out and wait till it all cooled off. As they were scattered, they went around preaching the good news. This is who they were. This is what they were a part of now. And this is what they were going to do. And so we see the church actually spreading, not because they were going to go share, but they were fleeing and sharing along the way. 
So that's what we have. So they go into uh, into Samaria, and we have uh, Philip, one of the people who had been set aside to wait at tables there in the early church, help with food distribution. And we saw some amazing successes last week with that. That's in the first part of chapter 8. Now in chapter 9, we have something else going on. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that, there might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I, may lay, I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, Drop dead. That's my paraphrase. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a, heart, such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is where I get This is what I'm talking about. We have Simon, who had been going around. Everybody's following him because he's doing some sort of magic, sorcery, whatever. Depending on who it was and what they were dealing with, sometimes uh, this was kind of simple stage illusion sort of thing, like doing card tricks. Other times it was people who were really trying to tap into these dark powers. And these demonic forces. And uh, we just saw, actually, end of passage last week, uh, we had many impure spirits that were coming out of people. There's something going on there. And so Simon may have been one dealing with that, or he may have been one just performing tricks. Either way, whatever it is he's doing, he's doing it because... It gets him a crowd. It gets him a following. It gets him in the center of attention where everyone is following what he's doing, and they're calling him this great power of God. And so here he is enjoying success in this area of Samaria in his chosen field, I suppose. That's what's going on until Philip comes in. When Philip comes in, We also see signs and wonders, and Philip is apparently tapping into some spiritual force that is enabling him to do these amazing things. And Simon says, great, (laughs) I want a a part of that. 
And so all these people are rejoicing and everything is going well. Uh, they start receiving the message and being baptized. Simon himself says, yes, I want to be in on this. Baptize me too. So he does, and he follows Philip around, and he's studying him, and he's watching him. He's like, man, this guy, he knows what he's doing. We're seeing amazing things happen. I don't know how he's doing it, but this is great. Maybe one day I can learn. Then we have this, uh, this strange bit in there where Peter and John come from Jerusalem. Now, I remember last week we said the apostles had stayed in Jerusalem. So all the people who are out sharing the message everywhere else weren't the original apostles. It's the everybody. Everybody is sharing about Jesus wherever they go. But now when they hear in Jerusalem that Samaritans, of all people, Samaritans are receiving this message, they say, we better go check this out. <laughs> so they go and they check this out. And they say, this is what's happening. And we see then a connection and a continuity from the Jerusalem church to the Samaritan church. This is not some other thing. This is the same movement. And so that is confirmed when the apostles come and they lay their hands on it and receive the Holy Spirit. And when Simon sees that, he freaks out and loses his mind a little bit. And he says, that, I've got to be able to do that. I mean, I've been able to do all sorts of other things. I have never been able to do anything like that. For, to be able to lay your hands on somebody and have them receive the Holy Spirit, that is amazing. Of course, the Holy Spirit, if you remember from Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit would come on people, uh, especially when we see this throughout the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on a new group of people, it's always accompanied with signs and wonders and amazing uh, <laughs> sights and sounds and things you've never seen before. And so when, uh, when Simon sees this, he says, I've, I've got to learn that one. I don't know if there's like a book that I can read or a training program I go through or I watch it online. I don't know. But there's got to be some way that I can learn how to do that, where I can lay my hands on people and they can receive the Holy Spirit and do whatever happens next. Because from his perspective, that's what's going on. It's just a tapping into a different power to get the result that you're wanting. And he says, I know now that I want to have that result, so... How much does it cost? What's it going to cost me? I have money. I give you money. Business has been good last year. I'll give you money. How much? And this is where Peter tells him to drop dead. This is when Peter says, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. I know it sounds harsh. I think it's really interesting, and this is just my own uh, kind of interest in this. I think it's really interesting that it's Peter who's talking to him. I think it's really interesting that Peter, Peter is called Peter because that's the nickname Jesus gave him. Peter's name that his mom gave him, <laughs> his parents gave him, was Simon. So here is this Peter, Simon Peter, who's talking to this other Simon, but now, and it's, it's very much the same kind of story that we see with Peter earlier in his life when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of men, or the things of God, but the things of men. And now we see Peter <laughs> down the road. He's kind of in the Jesus role, and the Simon guy is in the Peter role <laughs> from all It's fascinating. And we see Peter now doing the same thing for Simon, that Jesus did for Peter when he was Simon. 
And Jesus was harsh with Peter. And now Peter's harsh with Simon. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Have you ever given somebody a gift and they killed it? I don't mean like you gave them a pet and then they killed the pet. I mean, have, they, have you ever given somebody a gift and they killed the gift? When you had gone out of your way and you purchased something for them and you gave it to them and they said, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have. And you say, no, 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 I, I want to. I want to give you this thing. And they say, no, no, please, let me pay for it. And you say, no, 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 it is a gift. And they insist and they give you money and they kill the gift. Because what's just happened? They turned the gift, not into a gift, but into a purchase. And now instead of being the giver, you were just the merchant. And so it kills the gift. Peter, in explaining this to Simon, says, that is not the kind of thing we have with God. We don't even have that option. We can't, we can't kill the gift. We can't turn it into a purchase. And by the way, when we read this story, it's really easy to read this story and think, that guy, what in the world was he thinking? And to really try to distance ourselves from him. And it's pretty easy to do that because he's a, a Samaritan magician from a couple thousand years ago. And we're like, well, I have nothing in common with him. What a weirdo. But I think his situation and his story is exactly what goes on over and over and over today, especially in the church in the United States. And the reason why is because we are really, really good at being individuals, and we are really, really good at being consumers. Everything has its price, and we have been raised from the time we were young on advertising that said, whatever it is you want, all you need to do is pay money, and you've got it. Whatever it is, you dream it, you can have it. All you need to do is have enough money. And then the credit card companies come in and say, you don't even need to have enough money. <laughs> if you just want it, just go lay down the plastic. You've got it. And so we are raised with this understanding that everything has a price and everything can be had for a price. Of course, then the Beatles come along and tell us, you can't buy me love. There are some things that money can't buy, and it's usually the most important things. And that's what Peter is saying here. <clears throat> Less musically. <clears throat> what Peter is saying is that this gift of God is not and cannot be cheapened by being bought. And it's not just that it can't be cheapened that way. It's not just that that breaks down the whole arrangement. It's, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the arrangement is. The message that had been going out, this actually, when he says you have no part or share in this ministry, the word there for ministry is actually the word for word. <laughs> message. The ministry that was going on here was the sharing of the good news, the proclaiming the kingdom of God. And actually, let's read what it said at the very beginning. Um, <laughs> I lost my place. Verse 12. It says, When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As they believed... No. 
to get this right. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. There it is. Kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That is what's being proclaimed in this area. That is the ministry that was going on. It's proclaiming this. And he says, this is what you have no part of. Because what is the message of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ? Well, it helps if we know what the word Christ means. And Christ is the Greek word equivalent of the uh, Hebrew word uh, Messiah. And the Messiah just meant the anointed one, the one who's been anointed as the king. And so when you're reading Jesus Christ, it's not the name Jesus, like it's, it's not like John Smith, it's like Emperor Caesar. The, the title is contained in there. It's not just a name, it's a title. And so when you say Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Jesus is king, our political leaders are not. And depending on who's in political power at the time, sometimes that's easier to say than others. Where it really meets, the rubber really meets the road is when we say Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, and therefore I am not. And that's the one that Americans really have trouble with. We don't mind saying there's no other king, (laughs) but we've been taught all our lives that we are the kings of our own lives, that we get to rule and build our own kingdoms. And this is the problem that Simon was having, was that's the arrangement that he sought, that he's the king of his own little empire. And if he can have God help him out with that, he'll pay for that, sure. If God can add another magic trick to my... uh, whole repertoire. Great. I'll get more followers that way. Build myself a larger empire. And Peter says, you've misunderstood the entire arrangement. You have no part in this ministry. Simon had been baptized already. He had claimed to be a part of the group. Peter says, no, you're not. Because you have no idea what this is about. This is not about adding a little God in your life to help you have a better business. It's not about adding a little God in your life to have a better family or to have things go the way that you're hoping they're going to go down the road. This, this is a complete, completely different system. This is about dying to yourself and your kingdom and being born to new life by the Spirit in the kingdom of God where Jesus is the king. That's a whole, whole other arrangement. And when you see it that way, you understand why the idea of buying it with money doesn't even make sense. Not only you, you couldn't do it, but why would you? This is, a, this is the gift of God that comes to his people as he brings them into his kingdom, makes them a part of his new creation. There's a bit of sad news at the end of this. It kind of leaves us hanging, although. And Peter says this to him. He tells him to drop dead. You see that he's not saying this because he really wants Simon to die. And he really wants him um, to think all hope is lost. He's telling him to die to himself. And he says for him to pray that God would forgive him. Right, So the whole idea of this, and this is why I go back to the you know, seminary professors ought to say to uh, their students and 
pastor ought to say to people in the congregation, you've got to die. You've got to drop dead. You've got to die to yourself. There is no other way. You have to die to any dreams of building your own kingdom. That has to die. It has to. But it's not because Peter's being morbid. It's not because he's being hateful. It's not because he's being unloving or unkind. It's because he cares about Simon. He's been in his shoes. And he knows it's the only way. And so he says, you've got to die. You've got to die to yourself. And now pray that God would forgive you, that you would be welcomed in to this kingdom just as much as anybody else. Not because you give money. It has nothing to do with it. But because you are a child of God, one who he has created and Jesus has died to redeem, will you receive it? He says in verse 23, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And here's the sad part. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Does that break your heart? That does mine. Peter says to Simon, Pray to the Lord. And Simon says to Peter, no, you pray. I'm not going to do it. Peter says to Simon, pray to the Lord so that you may be forgiven. Simon says to Peter, no, you pray that bad stuff won't happen to me. He still doesn't get it, does he? He still doesn't get it. He still thinks this is all about his own kingdom building and less to do with the good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And they move on. We don't know anymore in here about what happens to Simon. There's a church tradition that kind of follows him after this and says he goes on building his own kingdom, basically. And does a good job at that. And it's a tragedy. In verse 25, it says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord they testified about Jesus, and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And this is where we end the story for today. We will pick it up again next week. But where this ends is not, just, not with the bad news of somebody who didn't understand even when confronted face-to-face with their own sin and how their heart was not right with God. But it ends with what happens after that still in the church. There are people who will hear the message and will receive it with joy. That's what we saw at the beginning. There are people like Simon who will hear the message and who won't get it. And it will break your heart. But that doesn't stop the message from going out. That doesn't stop the ministry of God. That doesn't stop the spread of the good news of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop the work that the Holy Spirit is doing to continually change hearts and lives as the message goes out. And so as we see at the end of this, we have these two apostles now from Jerusalem who, as they're on their way back, it's just everywhere you go, (laughs) everywhere they go, they're still proclaiming this good news, now even to Samaritans. And we do see, as we go on from here, more and more people who will accept it. So here's where this leaves us. We know we can look at somebody like Simon and say, well, of course you can't buy God. 
Of course you can't just give money. But we might need, we might need a friendly reminder today <laughs> to drop dead. To look at the ways in which maybe we do have some deal with God that we've never really looked at, that we've never said out loud. Maybe we wouldn't want to say it out loud. But that we have some deal with God that goes something like this. It doesn't have to be money. But, all right, God, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I will give you money, or I will give you time, or I will give you uh, my energy, or I will give you other resources. I will give these things to you as a sacrifice, as a gift. And we don't mean as a sacrifice or a gift. We mean as a payment in order to buy your good favor in helping me build my kingdom. I will do these things for you, and now the arrangement that I expect is that my loved one who's sick or injured will get well. Or my business won't go bankrupt. Or whatever it is. We have these unspoken deals we make, and it's all our own kingdom building advancement. And the good news is we can drop dead and still have hope of resurrection, have hope of new life, not in our kingdom. But the good news starts at the end of our kingdom and entering into his kingdom, where Jesus is king, not over Samaria and Jerusalem only but over the whole world, including my own heart and life. Maybe today we need to drop dead and then live again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.